Alrighty then, welcome back to this week's edition of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson, and in this week's podcast, we have a special guest. Yes, yes, someone who is going to help me really help you, those of you who are caregivers, particularly black male caregivers, as we're going to talk about a study that might be important for you to participate in. So let's sit back and take notes. Get your pen and pad out for this week's edition of Dementia in Black and White with Dr. Robert Turner. All right, all right. Let me take a moment to introduce you to our guest today. We have Dr. Robert W. Turner II, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Clinical Research and Leadership with a secondary appointment in the Department of Neurology at George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. He is also the author of Not For Long, The Life and Career of the NFL Athlete, Oxford Press, and a contributor on the LeBron James HBO documentary, Student Athlete. Now, of course, his bio is much longer than that, and I encourage you, if you don't know about Dr. Turner, to look him up. There's a lot of information about his contributions to society in general, and then this particular uh, community here that we're going to talk about specifically. And so without further ado, I want to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Robert Turner. Dr. Turner, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? Doing very well. And I, I just say, hey, I, I love that music, that intro music. That's all right. All you know, right. that's a good way to get us all started. And I appreciate you having me on. And I hope that, uh, you know, I can provide some good information for your audience today. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me just share with the audience kind of how I came about you as uh, how you came into my zeitgeist, if you will. I was watching you on a news program, it was an NBC news affiliate here in the DC area. And you were talking about this study that dealt with black male caregivers. And I tell you, of course, it just piqued my interest. And I reached out to your team for more information. And I shared that flyer. They were able to send me a flyer uh, with a black male support group that I'm a member of. But uh, I want to set that aside for a moment because I want to start really by just talking about you a little bit and ask, how did you get into this work? Wow. Well, you know, there's a long answer and a short answer. And since we're going you know, to try to keep it as compact as possible. Right. But really, the, the, the most direct answer is that my dad is, um, unfortunately, he suffers from dementia. And we have a family, um, you know, in our history. My, my dad, he's dealing with it now. It's fairly advanced. Um, then his sister, a couple of my aunts, two of my aunts, they have had, you know, dementia and, and passed away altogether from that, you know, over a period of time. And just, you know, I saw how for me, I remember when my mom and dad, you know, my dad worked, you know, I had two parent household that raised four kids and, you know, they were looking so forward to their retirement. They'd done everything right. They played by all the rules. My dad was a master sergeant in the Marines. He also worked uh, full-time as a, um, 
as an electrician, the first black male, black electrician in the union in New Jersey, Brotherhood 52. And, uh, and he was also ordained minister in an Episcopalian church, raised us mom and dad together, just a tight knit family. And so they were really looking forward to their, their uh, time to retire. They were starting to go on cruises and all kinds of things. And my mom's health started taking a turn for the worse. And then also they collectively had to start taking care of my aunt, not had to, they chose to, because she could no longer live on her own. And so they were primary caregivers for her. And we saw, I saw the sacrifices that they made together for my aunt. And then all of a sudden, as soon as, you know, basically after my, my aunt passed away, my dad started to, to uh, come down with the disease as well. And so I have just firsthand seen what it takes to provide care, how much the person who, who is suffering from that neurodegenerative disease go through. And, um, and then, so in my research, I started to think about, well, you know, we give a lot of care. We don't, we don't generally put our, our, our folks in, uh, in um, you know, nursing homes and those kinds of things. And I started wanting to find out what was that all about. And then I realized in doing the literature that we, we know almost nothing about black men who provide care for their family members, their loved ones. And when I looked into the literature, I started to realize that there was about, it says about 45% of all caregiving is provided by men. And I thought, wow, if that's the case, that means for black men, we are hidden in plain sight because we never talk about it. We don't know who they are, but we know that they're giving that out. We know that they're giving that kind of work and support to their family. And so I study stress. I study cognitive aging. How does our brain health age over time? And I, and I read some articles and I really wanted to understand, well, since we don't know very much about black men who do this, are black men at greater risk for some other health problems that might be associated with providing care uh, for a loved one? And so that's what really got me involved in the study. Fantastic. And that's a, a, a great, a great segue into uh, talking a little bit more about the study. So how long has it been going on? What types of things are you looking at? You mentioned stress. Uh, what else or, or how even are you going to be able to look at stress and how long has it been going on? All right. Well, let me let me pull back a minute because, okay. you know, you're asking a great question, but I, I want to set it up a little bit um, because one of the things that we understand is that we've seen lots of literature. Anyone who's been involved with this will recognize that this is a disease that unfortunately, and we don't know why, but it impacts, um, has a greater impact on the Black community and the Hispanic Latino community than it does on, on the European white community. Like many other health you know, outcomes, we suffer from it at a greater, higher risk rate, right? And so the question is why? And, and the only way that we can ever answer those kinds of questions is we have to do the research. The research is paramount because what we know in terms of health outcomes, they're different in the factors, the risk factors, resistant factors, they're different amongst ethnic groups. They're different amongst socioeconomic groups. So the only way we can really understand what's going on is we need to reach people where they live and we need to get people involved. But one of the most striking, um, I guess you would say statistics about Alzheimer's research that I think that, you know, I want your audience to really pay attention to is the fact that of all the research participants across the country and historically that we've been doing around um, Alzheimer's, and it has been ratcheting up. We've been doing that research significantly over the last 10 years. Right now, Congress through uh, the Alzheimer's, I mean, through the National Institute on Aging spends uh, almost, I believe it's four or five billion dollars on this right now. So it's a lot of money. But when I first started 10 years ago, it was only about 400 
$450 million that's been going into this. So it's a lot of money pouring into this. But the statistic that I really want people to pay attention to is that of all the people who pay who participate in Alzheimer's research, only 5% are Black African American. Wow. Which means that what we know about the disease, really, we know very little about how it affects our community, right, on many different levels. Now, here's something that's even more striking. Of that 5%, 75% of that, of, of those participants are women. Black men are only 25% of a total of 5%. Now, when we couch that and we think about that, and whenever you turn on the news, whenever you listen to anything, you'll always hear that black people have worse health outcomes. Yes. But then you will hear that black men have the worst of the worst health outcomes. Right. And so what we need to do, what is really important and overarchingly important is to get black men involved with these studies to help us better understand our own community. Right. That's right. And and that's really what 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 I really want to focus on more than anything else is when I went to the National Institute of Aging and I said, I'd like to do this study. One of the things that I had to be able to prove to them, and this is called a proof of concept or a pilot study, is that we could actually get black men involved in this type of biomedical research, that they would be willing to participate in this kind of research. So we've been in the field for just a little over about a year and a half now. We were slowed down by COVID and our numbers are they're, they're coming along we need to you know outreach more we need many many more people we're about halfway through and our goal was it was not that big but it was we needed 40 black men from the age of 18 upwards to 90 years old who are non-caregivers and what we look at them is that that's our comparison okay. we look at them and then we need to find black men who are caregivers and and get them involved in the study and i'm happy to announce that believe it or not we've done really really well with black men who are not caregivers they've been signing up we're okay. really encouraged about that right the challenge is not so much about black men who are caregivers who don't want to participate they they really do but as you know and we'll talk about this in a little bit longer they have significant demands on their time so to find a little bit of time to participate in the study is really challenging which is why we need your audience to really dial in, get involved with us, whether they're a, a, a caregiver or not, because we need to be able to get those numbers up. We need to be able to show the National Institute of Aging that Black men care about their own health and that they should put more money into these types of research projects. We want to take this ultimately, we're only in the DMV area now, uh, but we ultimately want to do a world, a nationwide study that looks at Black men and caregivers. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you for uh, giving that background and perspective. And since you brought it up in terms of the participation, I know you mentioned that barrier of time, which is a real one, certainly if you're in the caregiving role. But have you also run into the barrier of kind of just the history and the stereotype around studies that black men might have given you know, Tuskegee and, and even with the vaccine, this has kind of resurfaced some of this fear of the white coat, if you will. Yeah, I mean, those are real. Those are there's absolute real barriers that are there. But I think um, 
in order to do this research, what we do is we really take from my lab and I, I let me just state that I'm the principal investigator on this. I'm the person that's in charge of, you know, I wrote the grant, my research background studies are really a lens the credibility to be able to do this. I was able to, you know, really convince some folks at the NIH that this was worthy to, to be done. And so I have over a million dollars, you know, on my budget overarching to be able to do this and a number of other studies. But um, so we take what we call a community-based participatory uh, research uh, focus. We go out into the community. Really, if anything else, is I try to explain to people and, and, and try to be out in the community as much as I possibly can to say that, you know, in a, in a, in a large instance, what we're looking at is me search, because what, 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 what I'm focused on and what I'm trying to understand is going to affect me and my family just as much as it's going to affect you and your family. And I, and I understand the real, you know, issues around, you know, one day your person that you're loving, looking after is in great mood. Everything is great. And the next day they can barely get out of bed. And, you, you know, your phone and your work and your commitments, they don't stop. All of these things have to continue to go on. And so I recognize that there it takes a long degree of trust. But what I do is I, I get on programs like this and I ask people, what do we need to do to gain your trust? What do we need to do? What do I need to be able to tell the National Institute of Aging if we're going to do this kind of work and we need these kinds of answers and this kind of data? What is it going to tell, take to bridge, build bridges? Because we already know what has created that divide. But the fact is, and what I've been hearing over and over and over again, is we need people who look like you, who people came from our communities, who are going to go back to the communities, who are still going to be here looking after us and working with us well beyond the time that you've collected that data. And, and, and I can say unequivocally that I can be that person simply because I am from the community. I'm not, I'm not going to stop being a Black male tomorrow. You know, right. I am... Everything that's involved with this really is what I call research, me search, is that it's really pertinent to me, my cousins, my uncles, my father, my everybody else, just like you. We're we're literally in this thing together. Hey, man, exactly. Yeah. So you got two black men here that are telling you from the perspective of a black male caregiver that it's important to know this information. It's important to have this study done so that. If you're asking for resource or asking for dollars or asking for assistance, we'll know what that assistance needs to look like. So that's a, a wonderful plea for our folks to get involved. All right. So let's go into it a little bit uh, more detail because I want to ask this question. People might ask, is there any medication involved? You know, sometimes people take medicine. Some people take placebos and all of that. Anything like that going on for this particular study? Really glad you asked that question because this is, uh, we're doing empirical research. This is not a clinical trial. We're not asking people to take medication and have a, you know, a control group with a placebo and see that. We're, we're not doing any of that. This And I, and I really do want to go into, because I think this is real important based on a question you just asked previously, um, when it comes to consent, 
when it comes to your privacy. These are things that are very important. And this is one of the reasons why for me, even going back to, there's lots of people who want to do this kind of research. There are many pharmaceutical companies. They want access to the black community. They want access to black men in particular because they know this is an untapped market. Nobody's really figured out how to get to them yet. And when they do, they think, wow, well, we can market drugs to them. We can test drugs on them and all that other stuff. That's not where I came from. I, I really specifically wanted this funding from the National Institute of Aging, National Institute of Health, because there are so many um, safeguards that have to be in, play, in place to protect individuals. So what we do is we have a very, cons- um, you know, we have really um, a, a strong consent form, very concise, but we let you know exactly what we're going to do with the data. The thing that I want your audience to really understand here is that we uncouple your individual identity from whatever data that we take. So our study, we first of all, we have an inclusion and exclusion criteria. And so we make sure that you're able to be included into the project. We assign everyone a, um, a, a unique identifier number. It's just a number. Right. And then once we the only reason that we collect your demographic information is because we need to know what age range you are, not other stuff. Right. But then we collect completely separate. We collect your contact information for two reasons. One, if we have to do any follow up. But then also we also have um, we we provide a stipend. We pay people for being involved with the study. So we need to be able to send you your money. But other than that, that information is completely separate. So I could have a list of people who have been this been in the study, but I could not tell you anything about that person because we do not match your individual data and answers with who you are as a person. So that that consent and protecting your identity is paramount to what we do. All right. Good, good. And you answered uh, another one of my questions there. Any stipends or payments to folks? And it sounds like there is going to be perhaps some remuneration, a small stipend for folks. So that's- There is. And we're actually in a phase right now where we're piloting another program where we're working with um, a nonprofit organization here in the Washington, D.C. area. And um, they're Terrific Inc. And they have a small amount of money where we're actually going to people who are signing up now, going back to the question about the time commitment that it takes for a caregiver. So we have a small pot of money where we can pilot this study. So if you want to get involved with it, not only do we pay you a stipend, I believe it's up to about $125 cash in your pocket, but then we also can provide respite care for you. We want to be able to, because, you know, you've provided care for your parents. You know how difficult it is even to get, you know, a small breather, an hour, two hours, hours, let alone getting four or five hours. That's unbelievable. Because the question is, if you're not there looking after your loved one, then who is? So what what we're doing now is piloting this is we're working with a social worker. We're also working with Terrific Inc., where they identify um, well-trained caregivers that we can then send to your home. We can give you the two, three hours that you need to get involved with the study. And it only takes about an hour and a half or so hour, 45 minutes to be in the study. But we want to give you that extra time to go get a haircut, maybe go get shopping, maybe go, you know, just go hang out with your with your boys a little bit, right? right? Because you need to talk to some other adults. We want to be able to provide that through this grant for you to be able to um, get involved with us, but then get some time to yourself. Because we, we think if we, if we're 
works, right? We want to do interviews and ask men about this and ask families about this, but we want to bake this into our future grants where we have some additional monies to say, hey, listen, we recognize that money and time are really valuable commodities that is in short supply when you're providing care for a loved one. All right. Well, y'all heard it here first. The timing might be good right now for you to if it's you that needs to get in or you call your cousin Ray Ray and Pookie Nam and tell them <laughs> about what's going on here so that we can get them to be part of this study. Yeah, right, we got to give this money away. So we they, would love ready here they, for people to, to do this. Exactly. Exactly. So let me ask you this a little controversial here. That's coming at it from the other side. Do, do you ever get any criticism from people that say, well, look, we are all human beings. Why are you wanting to look at black men here? It seems like you're discriminating or this is reverse discrimination or what have you ever have that type of criticism. And what do you tell those people? Sure, we do. People ask that, but I think people get it very, very quickly, right? Because one of the things that we benefit from when it comes to this question, which is you know a very perverse way of saying this, but COVID, if COVID hasn't taught us anything, it has taught us how it has ravaged Black community, how it has ravaged Hispanic community, how it has ravaged people who are from disadvantaged backgrounds, right? And so the question is not about um, equality. The question is about equity. Those people who are at greatest risk, who are the most vulnerable, also need the most, we need to identify their issues so that way we can solve them. Right. We can't. And it was it said to me before, it was, it was a great person that asked me this question. He said, I, I'm all for equality. And I said, equality is great, but equity is what we have to work towards. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you have children. Right. He said, yes. I said, well, great. You have a child that's approximately three, four years old. And you got a, another child who's seven, eight years old. That three, four-year-old child, you want them both to be able to have a bicycle. You want them to both be able to ride and have fun and have a good time. Would you give the three-year-old the same bicycle that you would give the seven-year-old and vice versa? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He said, because they have different needs. They're at different levels. And I said, that's exactly right. That's why we have to look at women as a different population. And within that, we look at subpopulations. We have to do the same thing for men. We have to do the same thing for transgender. We recognize there is not a one size fits all solution, but this study is helping us do something that's vital. And that's identifying and recognizing what are the problems. Once we do that, then we can come and find some solutions. Hey, that's all right. Thank you for that. All right. So let me uh, I want to, of course, end with you giving the contact information where people can uh, reach out to get evaluated, to have a determination made as to whether or not they can participate in this current study or even whether or not they can just be part of the database for the future study. And I want to just make sure I encourage anybody even if you're not necessarily right in the D.C. metro area, that you go ahead and make the call or send an email um, and get um, screened at least uh, for the study so that you might be able to participate in a, a future or the expansion of the current study. But before we get into those specifics of the details, anything else you want us to know about uh, the study in general or all the, any of the work that you're doing? Sure. And I, I just want to mention to someone, I mentioned to your, your whole audience, like I said, what we are looking at 
really in this study, what we're trying to understand is a term that may, I'm not necessarily in love with it, but it's kind of the term that's used in in, um, health right now, but it's caregiver burden, caregiver, the stress of being a caregiver, right? And, And truly for us in the Black community, I would think, and we see this for sure in the Hispanic community as well, and probably many other communities as well, but, you know, we were raised to honor your mother and your father. So to say that providing care for them is a burden is not something that we're, we're not used to that language. That language doesn't necessarily apply. But one thing that we do know that, as we talked about before, there is additional stress that comes with providing for someone. And and let's, let's face it, we're talking about finding a way within your own mind. How do you transition from the one who at certain point in your life, you were being taken care of to now you have to take care of, right? And even working that part out can be very stressful, but then also learning how to balance their financial needs, learning how to balance your work and all of those other things. So what we look at is we're trying to understand both the physical stress, what happens to your body physiologically, are there chemical changes that come and that happen to us in ways that are different than anybody else? You know, for instance, we know that we have high blood pressure in, in the black in, for black men. We know that we struggle with obesity rates. We know that we struggle with cardiovascular health issues. We know these things. What happens when you are under a prolonged stress, right? You know, whether you want to call it that or not, but what happens when you're on prolonged, what happens when you're not sleeping and eating well because you have to take care of the other, your loved one, right? So that's one of the things we care about the physiological stress. Are there things that we need to do to help our men in particular to make sure that we, you know, try to eliminate as much of that stress as possible so it doesn't wear and tear your body? Then the other thing that we care about is we're looking at what we call cognitive aging and the stress that you have mentally and emotionally. Does that mean that it accelerates your aging process in, with your mind if you're being bogged down all this time? So we do both of those. We, we do what cortisol levels through saliva samples. We, we measure that to see what was going on with your physiological aging process. But then we also do what's called the UDS surveys where we do these cognitive assessments to understand. But the thing that I really really wanted to say is I was out one day and this was, I thought this was one of the most poignant um, statements to me. African-American man said, why you want me to get involved with this project? This is about stress. He goes, I'll tell you what's stressful. It's stressful being a black man in America. Hey, yes. And I said, you know what? That's exactly right. Which by the way, is why we have a control group of black men who don't provide care. And we also have a group of men who do provide care. And then you will be one of the, our third group is men who did provide care and no longer is providing care. What we want to look at is we want to look at all three of those groups, line them up together and say, how is their cognitive health how is their physiological aging, right? Are there differences? Do they spike up at times? Do they go down at times? Are, is this a persistent stress that we carry with us as we age, no matter what we're doing? If it is, and we know that, for instance, black men, we just lost Bob Lanier yesterday, yeah, famous you know, basketball player, only 73 years old. But did you realize that for black men, our life expectancy age is 72 years old? No. Wow. That, that is that is for sure. We, you know, which is the shortest lifespan of all the other racial demographic groups that we have, right? We, part of my work is really trying to unpack all of that and see how do we 
eliminate those barriers, significantly reduce those barriers. How do we get black men to live longer, healthy, quality life, which is why we need so desperately for brothers to, to be involved with these studies. Because, you know, for me, I don't, I don't want to see a childhood idol that pass away at 73. You know, I'm 60 years old, right? I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, my dad is 84 years old. I want to make sure that I live his life and with a high quality and longer. And I want my brothers that I know very well, all of them out there to say, hey man, let's lose this weight. Let's learn how to manage stress. Let's do all the things that we have to do because I don't want to lose you. I oh, want yeah. you to be around. I'm with you, Doc. I'm right there with you, 56. So I'm right there behind you. And I'm definitely, you know, longevity is the key right now so tell us give us some information where can folks reach out to find out either more information or to get screened to be a participant in this very important study all right well the first thing i would ask you know your audience to do and anyone that you know just send this out to everybody but you can go right on the web it's um my our website for my lab at george washington university is rw turner lab Dot com And you'll see right there, as soon as you go there, R.W. Turner Lab, um, you'll go and look under current projects and you'll see the Black Male Caregiver Burden Study. And you can sign up right there. You just sign on up and we'll take him, you know, take everything from right there at that point. But you can also email us and that is rwturnerlab at gwu.edu. Or if you want to, you can pick up the phone 202 994 one seven two eight. Again, that's RW Turner Lab at gwu.edu and 202-994-1728. And as you well know, you've been interacting with one of our, our um, student assistants, research assistants, Malavika, who's done an amazing job, just a great sister who will answer all your questions and uh, get you set right on up. And we do have newsletters. We have all kinds of things that we do to engage and interact because this is, as I mentioned to you, a community-based project. All right. All right. And all of the information that you provided in terms of the contact information will be in the description box box of this podcast. So whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, look down in the description and the information that the good doctor shared will be there. And so by all means, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, please Get somebody involved, either you or someone you know, to have them reach out and become a part of this important research. We can't sit back and complain about there's not enough stuff out there that relates to us if we don't participate. So let's go ahead and start participating with getting involved in this study. All right, folks, thank you for listening. Dr. Turner, thank you for coming on and sharing this valuable information. Until next week. Take care of your loved one. That's absolutely important what you're doing there. But don't forget to take care of yourself. That's equally important. Matthew Johnson, Dementia in Black and White. Until next week, I'm out.